Welcome into the Monday Morning Cornerback. This is Eric McKinney, joined by Daryl Rideau. Daryl, uh, another week, uh, another tight one for USC. They escaped Tucson uh, with a 34-30 win uh, against Arizona. This is a game <laughs> that went back and forth. 7-0, 7-7, 10-7, 10-10, and, and it's all the way back and forth until you're trading touchdowns. Uh, with 3.30 left, with a minute 35 left, with 25 seconds left is where USC's ultimately game-winning touchdown comes. Uh, Give me some thoughts, uh, I guess, just we're two games in, and and now we've seen this twice where USC's offense has had to come alive uh, with with about three, four minutes left uh, in both of these games. Your, Your kind of state of the program, I guess, right now, two games in. You know, it it's definitely not how you would design it or draw it up if you're USC. You knew going into the Arizona State game, first game, very challenging opponent at home, especially considering all of the 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 changes to your routine as a result of this global pandemic being COVID-19 protocols that changes the way that the players and coaches alike uh, prepare for games a lot more Zoom meetings versus face-to-face and really kind of testing the temperature of those players. And we're seeing the effects of the lack of continuity and chemistry play out in real time in front of us as a lot of the mental uh, mental preparation and, and details that you would catch in film room, meeting rooms, and transfer over into practice, you're now seeing the effects of that when it's played out in real time. In Arizona, the Wildcats were able to capitalize on just fundamentals. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I was asking myself this question and I posed, that I posed to you, Eric, is after two games, we saw the same script played out. It took heroic finishes by this USC offense um, and some, some you know, fortunate, uh, fortuitous bounces to go their way uh, such as what we saw once again in the fourth quarter, uh, uh, you know, a tip ball lands in the hands of, I believe it was Amon Ross St. Brown. Yes. Um, if, you know, to extend a drive in a play and would ultimately would lead to the, uh, the deciding touchdown. But when you think about that, is it a combination of rust or a systemic style of play? And, and right now, after the, a small sample size, I'm starting to see a systemic way that this team is playing. You know, they get off to a fast start uh, when, when, when you go off script and it really requires you to be fa- sound and fundamental from an X's and O standpoint for one reason or not, this team is not able to transfer over the designs of the game plan and execute it at a high enough level where they can control the game we're seeing this team be uh, reflect as a counterpuncher. They go off script. Uh, they wait for their opponent to punch them in the mouth, and then they decide to react and respond. And that may get you across teams that have uh, inferior talent or talent that isn't sure of themselves. But when you go up against a, t- a juggernaut, and, and the USC will be facing those juggernauts, you know, maybe not immediately, but if they want to contend for championships, they will. They're going to have to fix these uh, these these issues, fundamental issues of sound gap integrity um, integrity on the defensive side, shoring up the a gap, leaving someone in the middle so that you don't have the threat of a quarterback scramble, 
um, extend plays, and then offensively on short yardage situations when you really need to be able to effectively run the ball. Can you pull a guard? Can you add an extra tight end to create the illusion of a, a lead fullback? Can you do those little things to create a power running game to keep your offense on the field? Or will you have to rely on short passing situations, which ultimately increases the chances of a failed play? You know, I, I want to get into all of that stuff in, in a bit. I, I, know you've got, I know you've got ideas both sides of the ball uh, about that, but I, I want to step back a little bit. Now, you're not, you, you're not in the program right now going through you know, what they're going through in terms of testing and being separate and Zoom meetings and, and that, that, that wasn't, you know, your experience at, at USC. And I don't think anybody sort of on the outside looking in can really wrap their head around how different things are for, for this team compared to a, a typical year. But if you can try to, I guess, put yourself in, in their position, in a defensive player on this, on this USC team, uh, in their position, how much, how much leeway are, are you looking for in terms of everything that they've had to go through? You know, everything certainly you've, you've heard about and, and we've heard about and read about and, and heard from the, the players, putting in a, a new defense, uh, having to deal with kind of everything that, that they've dealt with, um, you know, starting out with, with Arizona State and Arizona, not the two teams that, that you were ready you know, when you first looked at the schedule all the way back when it was uh, when it's Alabama and, and New Mexico uh, that you're getting at the beginning of it. Is it something where you are you're fully wrapped your head around, hey, it's it's two games and we're at two wins? Or, or are you looking at this as we're, we're not where we need to be, e even with all of the hurdles and all of the troubles? Uh, what, where would your mind be, I guess, if you could try to put yourself on this roster and, and on this team right now? You know, it's interesting because, <clears throat> Eric, um, my career expanded or extended from 1999 to 2002. And during those four years, we had a lot of turnover, very similar to this team, albeit, you know, they've had consistency at the coaching spot. But in terms of many of the players having to adjust to new coaches, having to adjust to a, a new style of play. Um, the closest that I can compare to this pandemic, the, the change in your routine, is would have to be the week of September 11, 2001. As a junior on this football team, we were faced with a, a national crisis where football was, was um, halted, um, you know, for, for humanitarian purposes. When the two towers went down, I was on this team. And I remember the feeling, the melancholy feeling that we experienced as a team. Should we play? The distractions. What does this game really mean to us? You know, does this game have meaning? A lot of emotions going through, through our minds as loved ones, um, it felt like we were less than six degrees of separation from somebody being impacted by those who uh, lost lives um, during that tragic time in 2000, uh, September 11, 2001. Trying to compare that in a vacuum to what these players have to experience on a weekly basis, going through uh, uh, COVID-19 procedures of being tested, watching film with your peers in your group, from your dorm rooms, from home, on Zoom, on Skype, 
it is not the same. In some regards, you kind of feel isolated. So yes, you'd like to give them the benefit of doubt that the fact that they haven't had continuity in chemistry, they've still been able to manage to put together enough series of momentum, mo uh, momentum drives and plays to be able to pull out victories. But when you're at USC and you're trying to contend for something greater, you almost, your margin for error is so short that there isn't a game plan for this, but, but the expectations are still high enough that you have to exceed your own expectations within this routine and give the most of yourself in terms of how you are preparing and, and what, <clears throat> and, and once you get on this field and you're up against live performance, a, a team that, that is playing at a high tempo, you can't afford to make fundamental mistakes that you've learned throughout your, your career as a football player. And what I mean by that, Eric, is the mistakes that we are seeing from this team have very little to do with understanding and recognition of the playbook. It has more to do with the physical preparation, being where you're supposed to be in a run fit. If you are a defender coming inside out, as opposed to going outside in, and what I mean about outside in is you're rounding, you're going around the defender closer to the sideline when you should come from the inside of, of, uh, of, the, of the, um, the offensive player and then push the, the, um, the action to your help, which might be outside of you. If you find yourself, if you're the right side of your helmet should be on the left side of the receipt uh, of the uh, offensive player. And you find that the left side of your helmet is on that side, you're out of position. And we're seeing this far too often on the defensive side of the ball. When the secondary is engaged in run fits and that you can immediately attribute to the lack of preparation time. Now, because of talent, because of just how, how the experience of, uh, of this group, having played together, is able to overcome. But eventually, that time will expire and run out. And if you find yourself chasing it too often, eventually, laws of averages say you're not going to have enough time to make those comebacks that we've seen over the last two weeks. Where do you see and I, and I want to preface this by saying we're going to get to positives that, that you've seen too. But I, I want to start, what, what jumps out to you and we're talking about the defensive side of the ball for USC. Um, and, and you can you can limit this straight to Arizona, or if it's a trend you've seen now two weeks in a row, what jumps out at you as a sort of alarm bell ringing that this is an issue that has got to get fixed right now? Uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, when USC is in man coverage, they're at their best. When the corners are in press coverage and you have nine defenders in the box, if you account for the two safeties high, being able to play and plug those interior gaps in between the center and the guard, we call that the A gap. Between the guard and the tackles, we call that the B gap if you're looking at it from a defensive perspective, okay? In this defense, this 3-4 defense, when teams spread USC's defenders out by having a, an even set, two and two, two wide receivers on both sides, forcing the, the, the defense to have to space themselves out. There's a void in the middle of the field that, that looks like, it looks like just, <laughs> it's a tunnel, <laughs> okay? And a slew-footed quarterback like Grant Gunnell 
should not have had as much success as he had in this game in, in terms of extending plays. He extended plays for, you know, I think he had over like close to 40. He had 13 carries for 40 yards. And those plays were momentum extending plays. Yeah, so what am I seeing? First down pickups with, with his feet too. Not, not something you expected to see from the Arizona quarterback coming in. Why? From a slew-footed quarterback, you know? So what are we seeing fundamentally? We are seeing this defense fan out towards the sidelines, leaving the middle of the field voided, vacated. Now, perhaps you can say some of that had to do with uh, Talanoa Hufanga going down and bringing in a reserve safety and, and the fits not really being where they need to be. But, he, but Hufanga wasn't out last week, so we're seeing the same type of patterns. And then when, when USC is forced to go into a zone coverage, a read and react situation, they're forced to go into those elements because for two weeks in a row, offensive coordinators for the opposing teams are creatures of habit. If you make mistakes, they're going to see how smart you are, how quickly can you recover. And when USC has to defend against bunch sets, when you bring tight formations of the wide receivers, preventing your secondary from being in a press situation where it's athleticism on athleticism. And, and now the corners have to communicate with the linebackers first out, first up, first inside. Who's going to exchange? Who's going to pass that over? And when there's motion and shifting, is the defense prepared to shift where, where their run gap fits are in alignment? We're not seeing that occur fast enough. But make no mistake about it, when you look at the individual talent of USC from starting with the anchor in the middle, Marlon uh, Tui Pelotu, and then you look at the heroic, you know, um, closings uh, of Drake Jackson, you're seeing, wow, this is a defense that has so much talent. Why aren't they playing as a cohesive unit? And then you start to look at how teams are doing more dictating to them versus the defense applying pressure onto the offense and forcing them into obvious situations. Flip the ball over to the offensive side, Eric. I see the same thing. It's a lack of physicality from the offensive line we don't see a lot of guard pulling. We don't see a lot of um, what we call U-backs, extra tight ends, shifting in the backfield and creating that um, illusion of having a lead fullback situation. Instead, you're having to rely on a marquee step and other, and other running backs to create their own, um, their own lead blocking situations by either having to defend, beat at least one defender in order to, to get those short yardage. So systemically, I think that after two weeks, now is a good time for self-evaluation and saying, okay, there's a few things that we're doing well as a coaching staff, but now it's time to integrate other aspects of this game so that we can give our team a fighting chance to be successful in those inter-battles within the quarters. That's where USC has to win every quarter, not just the first and the fourth quarter. You know, you, you brought up the USC offense. I, I want to talk about the USC offense, what we've seen through two weeks from, from your sort of defensive eyes. If, if you're a, let's say you're a Utah cornerback, Utah, uh, next, next team up on the schedule. If you're looking at this offense, what are your thoughts coming in? I mean, you mentioned that the guys that they have, the, the running backs. We've seen, you know, Marquis Stepp and, and Stephen Carr kind of flash, and the wide receivers are, are – incredibly talented i mean tyler vaughn has gone sort of unspoken about for two weeks he, he's got 14 catches through two games 
uh, big game from Amon Ross St. Brown. Drake London right. is, is, you know, in the top handful of offensive players in the entire conference. What are you feeling, though, as you're matching up and, and getting ready to match up against this, this USC offense? Is it something where, you know, that they kind of strike fear in you or, or are you starting to get excited to play them? Because they've shown that they can turn it on and they can pile up yards and, and they can put up points. But I don't know. I, I don't know how sort of worried you are in terms of, of am I going to take a beating? right against, right. against this team and so I'm yeah, yeah. curious if you again if you can kind of put yourself in the shoes of someone who's going to go up against this USC offense I mean if I'm the Utah Utes and, and I'm on the defensive side I'm concerned if I find myself in a one-on-one matchup with any a number of these offensive skill players okay because odds are that I'm going to have my hands filled on a play-by-play basis but if, but if I'm the defensive coordinator for Utah and, and I'm looking at this, I'm, I'm trying to convince my defensive players or my team that if we can ride the wave, the first wave of, of, of the first quarter and get settled into the game, keeping it close, we'll change things up and force USC to have to methodically go down the field and beat us defensively. I'm going to play more zone coverage and apply pressure to the weak side of Keaton Slovis. And for one reason or another, Eric, Keaton just doesn't look right. Those, the balls are fluttering out of his hands. They're not coming out as crisp. They're not coming out as sharp. And so when, when a ball flutters, I'll, I'm, I'm looking as a defensive um, coordinator, I'm looking to show man coverage, but drop back into zone and force Keaton Slovis in this offense to be patient and hit tight windows. If, if, if Utah can demonstrate that discipline and be and, uh, and demonstrate that it can remain patient and force USC down the field, it's going to be a tough day. This offense is very explosive against man coverage, but offensively for USC, when you ask them in short yardage situations to apply the, the, um, the um, a power run game, to control the line of scrimmage, that's a part of this offense that hasn't been fully developed yet. And so as a result of that, this offense is predicated on tempo, getting quick rhythm routes up, forcing the teams to have to adjust their coverages and maybe roll up tighter to take away those short routes. Then USC wants to take a shot deep and play with the safeties, force the safeties to come in the box and go out of the box. And from that yo-yo movement, be able to run off of that as a, as a result of, of, of the alignment from the safeties. But that's not good offense. That's offense that's reactionary. And this offense is very explosive and should be dictating to teams how they are going to attack them instead of waiting for the defense to demonstrate to them, you know, um, <clears throat> which way they should go. So for me, I think that offenses usually develop a little later. Defenses tend to come together quicker because they have less coverages and and, and less installations. So I don't think we're going to see the best part of USC's offense until the fourth or fifth week of the season. So this really feels like this first quarter of the season really still feels like a preseason for this offense as they get calibrated. But for now, they're talented enough to put teams away 
And if you're going to be Utah, you better come out and defeat and beat USC early. Because if you allow them to linger, as we've seen with Arizona State and Arizona, this team is too talented and they can score in bunches. And so you can never truly put them away unless you truly control the clock. And so for, for, for Arizona, I mean, for Utah on the defensive side of the ball, look for them to apply pressure weak side and force the ball out of Keaton Slovis' hands faster than he wants it. But if you're Keaton Slovis, you got to take advantage of the matchups that you find and check down might be your best friend until you find yourself comfortable in a rhythm where you're throwing tight spirals. You know, I, I do think that this team should get credit for coming back and, and winning these games. And, and it's easy to sort of just brush that aside and, and focus on all the issues. And, and I also think it's, it's irresponsible to not focus on the issues, to just say, right, well, we right. won and, and that's all that matters. Uh, and, and I'm not asking you to kind of put your neck on the line saying it's going to happen and, and they're going okay. to put it together against Utah. But maybe where can you expect the changes to, to come the quickest the, some of the issues that you've talked about, mm -hmm. are there, are there quick fixes? Are there things where you can do something to, to maybe, you know, get that up to where USC would, would certainly expect themselves to be, or are these sort of institutional shortcomings now where it's, Hey, you, you know, you, we're going to throw on third and one now for the, for the foreseeable future, because there is no quick fix to, to get that figured out. Well, I, I think that when when we've noticed this offense at its best last season was when they got into early on package rotations of complementary running backs, whether it was um, Stephen Carr with Vavai Malapai or Marquis Stepp and Stephen Carr, you know, Keaton Kristen, um, you know, kind of Keaton Kristen spot rolling. I think that there's enough sample size now, if you go back to a rolling 12 months of football, there's enough sample size for, for um, <clears throat> this team to understand its personnel that has returned and put them in favorable positions. Like if you're gonna go short yardage, maybe it's best that USC does those bunch sets um, and, and takes advantage of softening up defensive coverages instead of allowing for 10 personnel you know, one, uh, no tight ends, one running back and four wide receivers. That, that may not be the best formation for um, short yards running, but make no mistake about it. I am very optimistic that this team can turn it over because look, we, at the end of the day, you know, when you watch the game, Keaton's, Keaton Slovis throws 30 or 43 for 325 yards and one touchdown and really never got into a rhythm until late in the fourth quarter. But then when you look at the sum of all parts and you look at the body of work, they almost accumulated 500 yards. So you're like, I mean, they can put up 500 yards and have a bad game. So you know that this offense is capable of clicking on all cylinders and this team seems to feed off of the energy of that offense. So I think that the, the, uh, the schedule starts to soften up. And I do believe that going into this next week, we're going to be able to see more of uh, consistency from this team because the tough battles they just went through and they found a way to win and you can build off of that confidence. But overall, I think that you know what you have in Drake uh, London and you should be able to take advantage of and exploit those short yardage situations with him in the slot outside 
outside of that, on the defensive side of the ball, I do think that they're going to have to disguise their coverages a little bit more and keep bodies in the middle of the field and maybe retreat them out late so that quarterbacks don't extend plays uh, by running the ball up these wide gaps, up the, uh, the A gaps. And I did like uh, what they did, Raymond Scott, a, a couple times spying the quarterback. And you really saw when USC kind of put that out there, that that was the, the running back or the, sorry, the running game from the quarterback was pretty much shut down. And there were a couple plays where it looked like he tried to buy time and maybe thought about going and then thought better of it. Uh, one ended up in a sack, one ended up in, in throwing the ball away. Uh, right. and, so, and so you did see some adjustments from the USC defense and a way to sort of solve that issue. Uh, right. But, I, I, but go but ahead. One, one, more, one more thing. Okay. Eric, but if we are giving credit, look at the development of Nick Figueroa and how, you know, you wondered how many, how many, um, how many plays were you truly going to get out of him or was that going to be like by committee? But I mean, he showed up in some big moments and it, it didn't always result into, you know, tackles for loss, but the pressure that he was able to get opposite of Drake Jackson and opposite of um, Marlon Tui Pelotu, I think that, you know, again, uh, to a man, this team has the potential both offensively and defensively of being the elite part of the Pac-12 South, if not the Pac-12. Okay. But you just want to see, you just, you, you get the sense that with every rep that they get, they're going to gain more and more consistency and become comfortable with the pace of the game. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that pace show up in spurts and then also the fatigue factor kick in as well. And, and that's something that, again, they may not be able to overcome due to these COVID um, protocols, but if they can just continue to kind of gather their sea legs through playing football, um, just like, you know, someone goes to the YMCA and they pick and they play and pick up basketball games. Once your momentum, you know, you start to get that second wind and conditioning in, I think that's when we're going to see the best part of this football team. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Nick Figueroa because a couple guys on the defensive line and, and USC needed that. I mean, losing Jay Tufele was a huge blow uh, to this defensive line. You, you shudder a little bit to think about the offensive yeah. line had Elijah Vera Tucker not come back. Uh, and, and kind of stabilize that left tackle spot. But they needed guys to step up on the defensive line. Uh, Nick Figueroa ha has definitely done that through a couple of games. I think Marlon's little brother, Tuli Tuipolojo, has been exceptional for a true freshman getting thrown in there and, and what he's been able to do so far. You've got, you've got some hope that that's going to continue to progress and the defensive line is going to – you know, hopefully continue to, to take steps forward. I'm curious your thought on, on the secondary. This is, again, something where the Arizona absolutely got that they got one big uh, touchdown play on a, on a bunch of yards after a catch on a short throw, and then obviously the big one up over the top where they were able yes. to go 75 yards with a quick strike, uh, one play. Your thoughts so far on, on some of the corners, some of the safeties, it, it feels like overall – a positive, but again, a, a couple plays here and there um, where, where it's not, you know, perfect and, and not that you're ever going to expect, you know, perfection from, from any group uh, in a game. Uh, you know, overall, I, I think the starting four, you can live with that. You can win a lot of football games with Elijah Griffin and Chris Steele at the corners and, and then um, uh, Palomar 
and Hufanga at the safety positions. But it's when you 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 rotate in other other rotational players that aren't communicating the same. That's when I think, you know, if you look at in a vacuum, if you look at the plays that were given up, usually those are those are plays that you can you can correct. Those were communication breakdowns, um, things that were that we call check with me. Let's make sure your eyes are seeing what my eyes are seeing, the eye discipline of, of um, introducing new coverages. And a lot of the coverages that we're considering to be new are when USC goes from man coverage to a zone, quarter, quarter halves. Some people call it cover four, but there's a lot of uh, communication between who has what player and at what point do you release that player at, at what distance. Usually around eight yards, you declare, you lock in on your man. But there's a gray area as to, is my eight yards the same as your eight yards based on your alignment? So those are some things that are communication breakdowns that you don't expect USC to systemically continue to make those type of mistakes. Run fits, that comes with just there's no other way around it. You need you need that um, combat. You need to feel that the uh, the 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 contact of another person to understand how quickly you need to fit. But I'm actually I'm more optimistic than anything. I think that this is a better coach team uh, than it was a year ago, and I think it has a lot of higher upside um, as the season progresses. I'm very optimistic that with this core of linebackers, they're stout. They're aggressive, okay, and they're they're um, they're hybrids. They can play in the run game, and you can mix them up, and 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 you know, and have them cover down. What they need though is they need more reps together. And again, this sample size may not reveal itself for another two weeks. So, got to go through a little bit more growing pains um, because they actually need about I'd say about 300 plays combined playing together before you really start to see the tendencies come out. A lot of teams right now had all off season to scheme. So we still don't know how teams are attacking them other than we're noticing that defensively when they want to get USC defensively out of man coverage, they bunch the formation in and they force USC to have to communicate. And then they're getting quick pitches to the outside or off counter plays. Um, when USC is at its best, it's getting pressure up the field the corners are locked up in man coverage and the two safeties are seesawing. They're, they're going back and forth from high safety to low safety, interchangeable in positions. Um, I think they're getting quality production right now out of the nickel spot. Greg Johnson really showed up. Max Williams got a sack, a half sack. And, and then, you, you know, you, you talked about Raymond Scott kind of rotating in in that position as well. That position by committee, it will give this team a chance to match up where it needs to match up. So, I like the corners. I like the way they match up. It's just when you go deeper into the rotation, you're seeing a lack of communication, Eric. And I think that that's rearing its head in critical situations. Where do you feel like this team is right now after these couple games? And you know all week, and not that, not that they're reading every single story that gets written about them, but the questions are going to be what's wrong, how do you fix it, and they're sitting there at – at two and zero, where is your mind? I guess if if you're a player on this team and and the way you're looking at the rest of the season and, and what you've done so far, again sitting there at, at two and zero, if you ask them kind of what's your perfect start and you could only answer with a record, it, it would be two and zero. And again, I, I'm not trying to sort of sugarcoat everything that's gone on because boy, there are a lot of 
you know, issues to work on. But if you're, if you're just a player, again, what do you take kind of from the two games so far and, and move forward into the rest of the season? It, it's a great question because it comes with multiple perspectives. Um, if you're a player, you got to be careful to avoid the fool's gold. Because as easy as you are 2-0, you could have very well easily have been 0-2. But as a coach, it's the most, it's the ideal situation you could ever find yourself in. We're not playing our best football, but we're playing well enough to be 2-0. But these are great coaching moments, coachable moments, because now you've captured the attention of your team. And you're saying, look, yes, we're 2-0, but we got a lot of work to do. And I now I don't have to go out and in in demand that you're paying attention to the details to a man you're looking at yourself in the mirror and saying man that play i gave up almost cost me i cannot allow for myself to uh, i cannot afford for that situation to come up again where i am the the leak wink the link the weak link in this team or on this team and so i expect more film watching and I expect guys to, who are taking mental reps to physically put themselves in better position because now they see themselves on the field. You know, it's one thing to like do a walkthrough in front of a chair, but it's another thing when that other, when, when, when you're going through those, um, when you're simulating those motions, there's actual movement on the other side. And now you're saying, oh, wow, where I thought my run fit was, it's now one shade over. So for me, when you think about where this team is, it's the best position because although they're 2-0, and o, they don't feel like they've earned the right to be considered 2-0. and o. And so now look for this team to go out and prove that the record is who they are. And it's just not a, um, it, it's not, they're not the beneficiaries of, of, of mistakes from the other teams over the course of the last two weeks. So if you're Clay Helton and you're Todd Orlando as a defensive coordinator and, and you're thinking about where you are as a team, you're saying, yes, we're 2-0, and but we could have easily been 0-2, and, and the only people in this room that can control this narrative moving forward are those 22 on the field at any given time. And so how we prepare for these next weeks, how we prepare for Utah is going to determine the outcome of how, of how far we can go as a team. If you want to control your own destiny, keep winning out because the playoffs have started. Whether you realize it or not, Eric, it's a shortened, condensed season, and every game matters, every game counts, and USC has given themselves a fighting chance to, to, to uh, contend for the Pac-12 South, to con contend for the, uh, a chance um, for you know, extended play beyond that. Yeah, you know, I, I thought about ending it right there, but, but I want to ask you too, is there a Looking back at this Arizona game, I don't want to put you on the spot here because we didn't talk about this kind of beforehand, but is there a play you can think of or maybe a couple plays, and this is USC offensively or defensively, that really stood out to you? Um, and, and again, maybe a couple. One, one that highlights this is, these are the mistakes that are happening right now, and, and then maybe one that shows, hey, th this is what they are capable of. Th this is what they can do. It just needs to happen consistently for the rest of the season. Okay, so mistake-wise, all right, um, I, I never want to bang on a player for being out-athleticismed, if that's a word. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Out-athletic, okay? But, but I, do, I will bang on you if, if you make a mental mistake, okay? Like, for example, uh, and I don't want to 
I don't want to isolate the player, so I'm just going to reference them by position, even though I know who the player is, okay? Um, so a mental mistake would be on a rub route. When you're in a crossing route and your job is to just get in, get in the way of the defender and force them to take a different angle around you, but you deliberately turn it into a block, okay? That's the decision you make when, when you cause the offense a ch a, from you know extending the play to a 15-yard penalty for pass interference, okay? In my opinion, those are mental plays that you have to make a decision and a choice to do. Do you execute it the right way? Or, or do you take an opportunity to take a cheap shot uh, on a defender, okay? Now, for every mistake such as that, you also find fortuitous plays that let you know that, man, this team is talented. And I go back to a flutter ball, a ball that just, you know, released out of the hands of Keaton Slovis, and it, it felt like a 50-50 prayer ball that could have easily been intercepted, okay? But the ball extended through the defender's hands, and it tipped into into the hands of Amon Ross St. Brown, okay? Actually, that was a better thrown pass than I'll give that one credit for. Maybe it's the one in the middle to Drake Jackson, who, I'm sorry, Drake London. Um, well, Drake came down with a 50-50 prayer ball that was a flutter ball, okay? But that just goes to show the athleticism of this team. You can't just defend them vertically and horizontally. You also have to, I mean, um, <clears throat> laterally and, and, and horizontally. You also have to defend them vertically because of their range. It gives them a fighting chance in every game. And, and, and that's where your trust and belief comes in this team. And you say, wow, if they can just click on all cylinders, this is the team that can easily put up 45, 50 points a game. And they just haven't clicked yet. So, yes, uh, if I was just looking at it from, from, um, from, from the game in a vacuum, there are but a few plays that you say, okay, if they have more time together, they could, they could correct those mistakes. But when you're in tempo and the team is coming at you very quickly and you have to communicate and make quick decisions, if, unless you've been through it, your body doesn't always react the same way that your mind reacts. And so you'll give a play away as long as you don't continue to make those mistakes. And the only mistakes that we're seeing systemically is the alignment over the center, giving quarterbacks you know, free run. Those are things that you can correct from a, an alignment standpoint. But in terms of, you know, um, how they're defending plays on the defensive side and execution on the offense, it just comes with reps. Telling your body and your mind um, to, to, to be cohesive in the thought process. And the only way you can combat that is to simulate that live time. So I'm not concerned about what we're seeing from an athletic standpoint. It's more of a, how am I handling this thing mentally? Am I prepared to execute the assignment? Do I understand what my assignment is? And, and, and we're starting, that, that information is starting to reveal itself after two games. Yeah, and, and that was something that Todd Orlando even brought up last week. Just, just kind of quickly mentioning, you know, this is stuff that, that where spring ball would have helped. And they're not going to harp on that a whole lot because that, that you know it, eventually it can come across as sounding like excuse making but boy it, it really feels like that is a bigger deal um than maybe was made of it oh well you know nobody got spring ball so keep going um that this it does it's start, starting to feel like a lot of the issues that you're seeing maybe could be alleviated had there been a, a spring ball but 
there wasn't. And now you got to figure it out. And, and now you got to get going. <laughs> you know, let, let, let me say one last thing, Eric. Okay. Yeah. Uh, as a parent, uh, the first time that I became a true parent, uh, my wife elected to go with cloth diapers. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so for any of us who have been parents and that have had to go through the whole nursing phase and changing of diapers, it takes time to understand what goes first and, and you know, in, in, in the process. Okay. And for these players, it's the same thing. Just, you know, despite where they've come from and how many plays that they've had, they've never, the, the new terminology and the new lingo and the way that these coaches want to teach up the players without a spring ball, without being able to speed things up and then slow it down and then simulating the techniques. They didn't, because they didn't have that, that is not just an excuse. That is a true bona fide excuse because it would be hard pressed for me to be a corner playing right side of a defense my whole life. And now I'm being asked to flip both sides. And when I flip both sides, now you're telling me, and, my, and I'm having to tell my body that the way I reacted by being on the right side where my dominant foot might've been my right foot, my dominant foot now has to be my left foot when I'm flipped on the other side of the ball, that I should be able to react as equally fast as I could being on the side that I'm accustomed to being on. Same things with pass rushers. Same thing when you take a guard and you flip them over to the other side. All of these things, these, the, the laws of symmetry all kind of kick in and people are creatures of habit. You're taking them out of their element, but you're asking them to perform at a high level. And that's a tall order to ask. And it's unfair for us to scrutinize them. But guess what? You know, every game counts and every game leads towards one step closer towards being in the playoff. So the margin for error is very, very slim. And USC has been able to overcome their own mistakes, let alone late game momentums uh, from other teams. Yeah, and we'll see. USC is going to get another team this week. Certainly, you you hope it continues as planned in in Utah that has not played a game yet. So this will be three weeks in a row that USC plays (laughs) against the team making its season opener. You you assume that you maybe know what you're going to get from Utah. This is a guy with Kyle Whittingham there as a head coach that has been there seemingly forever. Uh, in terms of kind of his system and, and what he looks like. But, boy, I, I you, you can't have another game where you come out of it going, wow, they, they threw something at us that we didn't expect because it wasn't right. on film, if that's something that you've seen, you know, many, many times now at, at this point. So that you saw it, it, Yeah, and, Eric, and, I, and that's what I want to say, because when you go up against a team, and I'll keep this one short, but when you go up against a team that hasn't played yet, those pregame jitters, those nerves – of that first contact against somebody else, those nerves are real. And until, until you get that first collision and you say, they put it on their pass the same way I do. You know, if you're USC, you wanna take the fight to Utah early in the game and keep them uncomfortable early in the game so that you can set the tone. Don't wait for them to get comfortable like Arizona did and then dictate flow and pace to you. So that's what I would like to see. I'd like to see, uh, a more definitive dominant mentality. I almost wanted to call it a killer's mentality, but it's not. It's just more of a, an assertiveness about how they go about their way of playing. That's an attitude that only a player can can simulate um, as they prepare for, a, you know, their next opponent. 
And that's something that this team should have a better sense of who they are after two games. Yeah, you, you and a bunch of other USC fans, I think, hoping to see that uh, against Utah for the Trojans. And this is this was the other game, you know, early on. You, you had Arizona State circled and then Utah circled, and it sure looked like those first two games were going to be very – sorry, two of the first three games going to be very, very important in kind of telling the story of this USC 2020 season. So we'll see if, if USC can kind of right some of the issues uh, that have been exposed during these first two wins. And, again, USC sitting there at 2-0 and with plenty of things to fix as they go to Utah. And, and that is going to be, I, I think, a fascinating one to see how USC comes out both offensively and defensively against, again, another Utah program, just like Arizona, replacing a lot of key guys at a lot of key spots on both sides of the ball. So we'll see how USC can, can put that together. But for now, for Doe Rideau, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast, Monday Morning Cornerback.